Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. <laughs> I'm Father Peter Musk, and my name is Scott Powell. And uh, today we are coming to you from a snowy, beautiful, snowy day. Yesterday, I have to tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so we just we just got back from the Seek conference, the Focus Seek conference, and um, and when I say Seek, I it's S E E K, not like as in like Seek, as in like uh, somebody from oh, Islam. S E I yeah. I can't spell it, so I could. <laughs> but either way, because I, I was going to get embarrassed. But um, I just came back from that, and uh, it was totally awesome. Ten thousand people together, most of them college students, like. Totally going insane, and there was this moment right totally before Jim Jim, Gim, Gim Gaffigan, Jim oh, Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan, um, like right before he went on, like, dude, that I've never seen ten thousand college students go crazy before, and it was totally epic, awesome. Wow, was yeah. he funny? He was, but I mean, just imagine if you had to, as a comedian, imagine um, having ten thousand of the most zealous like committed Catholics in front of you. How do you be funny for that? I have no idea. Well, we do that right now. Oh, yeah. That's what we're doing. We got like 5,000. But the, the other day, so <clears throat> while we were away at Seek, yes. um, we had uh, Father Brady and I had gotten a people um, fish for their uh, for for like their Christmas presents. You got people fish? Yeah. So we, we Like brought, who? Um, I didn't get like any fish. Calvin, Calvin and Shelby. I got no fish. And Ann and Deanna. I thought we were we were best friends. Um, yeah, so huh. y- we we were, and <laughs> until now. Then you moved on to Calvin. Then I moved on to Calvin. Now Wait, he's my best. He doesn't date. even listen to this. I know. Unbelievable. Okay, but but so you got people fish. Yeah, went, and <clears> so <throat> we were like, okay, are the fish gonna survive? Five days gone, you know. So like coming back, <laughs> sick. And it was like that's it, disgusting. And I was like, okay, so I fed the fish. And I was like, oh, they're alive. Oh, you mean the actual fish, the, the living fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I fed the fish when I got back, and they would look like they were doing good, except for one, Carl. Oh, Carl. And and, and so, oh, yes. Oh. So so yesterday, oh, I should probably play this for you. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> this is, um, I did a little memorial service for Carl. For Carl the fish. Yeah, yeah. But, but, um, but you know, it's just one of those things to where, like, um, Okay, here we go. Um, here, here. What are we doing? Here, what, here's a memorial happening? service for Carl's death. Oh my gosh. Carl, you were a good fish. You swam, and you ate food. And you brought us great happiness. Today, we commend your body to the deep. <laughs> May you rest in peace, little buddy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Are you alone for this? Yeah. It's just you? It's just me. It's just you and Carl. Yeah. Well, or the, the body of Carl. Yeah, dude, that, that was... um. Was I just, can't believe that's just you solo <laughs> well, with your iPhone. Well, that was the You're thing ridiculous. is that I, that I was I was like, well, there's a lot of people who loved Carl. You're ridiculous. But, but you can't really film it. It's just kind of a little much. You Nobody wants to watch of that. Of course they do. And so I just gave, gave an audio record. Everybody knows what's happening. Yeah. Little buddy Carl. So. Oh, my gosh. I know. Peter, you're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh well speaking of baptism speaking of water yeah do you see what i did there hey, I like it's nice. the baptism of the lord oh dude but you I said just... nice without even knowing what i was talking about <laughs> yeah. oh nice i just dude. like i condescendingly say to you without knowing what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> i got what you're doing now all man right, i right. see what you did right all there right, all right all right it is the baptism of the lord oh that's not that's really a, not, a not good but um, it's one of those Sundays, like a couple weeks ago, where we have many options for our readings. And so we just kind of had to choose which ones we were going to go after. I, I, I think it's pretty arbitrary, right? I mean, any priest can just choose to preach on whichever Absolutely. one he wants. So I don't know what you guys are going to get. But we've chosen readings that we think have a really interesting thread that kind of runs through them. And I, I kind of had to push Father Peter on one thing. I chose the more obscure passage <laughs> for the first reading because I think— um, it's a really interesting um, theme to bring out, which is not readily apparent. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, so there's other there's themes about water and about washing, which make most sense with regard to the baptism. But then there's our other first reading option, which seems like it has nothing to do with anything, but I think it does. Well, and that's exactly why we pay you the big bucks, Scott. Amen to that. I need a raise, by the way. <laughs> no, no. Okay, our first reading, um, we're taking from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, and then 6 through 7. Skipping verse 5. Skipping verse 5. because Notoriously. So for our psalm today, we are going to have Psalm 23. Nope. 9? 29. Psalm 29. <laughs> it's got a small writing. You little, can, yeah, little writing. Little writing. 1 little, to 2. Little writing. 1 to 2, 3 to 4, 3, 9 to 11. <laughs> Dude, I've ne- we've never like shot backwards before. I know. It's a flashback. Flashback, and then, just and kind of like lost, and dude. A huge flash forward. Lost had like flash sideways. Yeah, dude. Lost was a flash in the pan. Oh. oh. Actually, I'm really looking forward to watching that again. So. Oh, good. Okay, then what are we gonna do for our testament of the new? Oh, we haven't friend? discussed this. Yet. We didn't really do a good job of discussing what readings we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. But you just tell me, man. I'm gonna. I'm just like really flexible today. I was hoping for uh, Acts chapter ten, That's verses good. thirty-four through thirty-eight, for our second reading. Sounds awesome. You I was cool with that? I was cool. I'm cool with that. That's what I was like thinking, you know? The nice thing is that we only have one option for the gospel. Which and is it's very short. Um, yes. So what is our gospel today, my friend? I just did the second reading, remember? Did it's you? your turn. Oh, the gospel today will be found from the book of Mark. Mm, very good. Anything further on that? Oh just, yes, yes. Just the the, whole book? There's a chapter <laughs> called one. Mm. Which is a very special chapter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. followed by some verses, which is just like the place you hung out as a child. Oh, 7-Eleven. Yes. The first reading comes from Isaiah 42. Isaiah, that's a new one for us. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of this book. Oh, hush. Now, lo- year B loves Isaiah. That's what we've learned. Right? Right. <laughs> Dude, every year loves Isaiah. But not like year B. <laughs> no, year B really <laughs> loves Isaiah. <laughs> that's just, Am I right? They're taking Isaiah to the next level. Am I right? Up, up Am I right? Here. Anyway, um, so this is one of the four servant songs. Okay. And Isaiah, so we've talked about the importance of Isaiah. It, it is really crucial that we, we it, there's a reason the church focuses so much on Isaiah, because it's often called the fifth gospel, because there's so much about Jesus here. It's called the centerpiece <laughs> of the Old Testament. What? I just laugh because it's like trying to come up with something new to say. Well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there's like... new listeners that haven't heard this before. <laughs> but this is the first yeah. of the four servant songs. Psalms, songs, songs, songs. Oh, I'm trying to think of that servant song. Will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Won't you let me? I haven't heard that song in forever. It's a, it's, uh, it's a good song. That's not one of the four servant songs. No, it's not. That's the fifth. (laughs) That's the fifth servant song. (laughs) So here's what it says. Thus says the Lord. Now remember again, context of Isaiah. I know we've said this ten billion times. There's my (laughs) exaggerating again. Hold on, um, hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. In the first 40 chapters uh-huh. are no, Book no, of Woe. No, we've said it every week and you missed it. And then the no, first, you and then already the said it second right. 40 no, chapters. You already missed it. You already missed it. No, it's, no, I didn't. It's first 39. Thank you. And then when we hit 40. 40. Then we hit to 40 and everything gets good, yo. Everything gets comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's the book of consolation. Comfort yeah. my people. I mean, here's the thing about Isaiah. and my studies of Isaiah, I get frustrated because it does have these two very specific, this <laughs> line of demarcation of, of woe and then comfort. But it's not consistent in the least. There's so much comfort in the first part of the book, and there's so much condemnation in the second part of the book. Thompson. So I know that this is why people have struggled with Isaiah, because he's just all over the board, the timeline, the chronology, and even what he's talking about. So It's just like in, hanging out with mystics. I mean, it's let's just, just like that. Mystics, they're kind of all over the place. That's all what that's what way. my preaching is like. Yes, That's, that's why a I'm a mystic, you or a mystic. I'm just ADD. Oh, uh, well, you, you can be both. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> that is true. So... In this section on comfort, so again, God speaking to Israel, who is suffering, who has fallen into grave sin, who is about to lose their kingdom, who is going to go into exile, and he's speaking about how he's going to restore their fortunes and bring them back to what they were supposed to be, even greater than that. And it says, thus says the Lord, here is my servant, whom I, who I, whom 
I uphold. So God's going to send a servant, my chosen one, with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have set my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, a smoldering wick he shall not quench, until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. So there's going to be this figure who's going to be a servant to God. He's going to be chosen. He's going to have God's spirit. He's going to bring forth justice. To whom? To all the nations, to all the coastlands. He's not going to cry out or shout or make dumb jokes or puns like we do. That's how you know we're not the servant. Have I lost? <laughs> you, no, zo- yeah. you totally zoned out. No, I was zoned out. I, I wish I had a picture of your face <laughs> from just then. It was wonderful. I'm, I'm anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. Now, there, there's some irony in this. Um the whole of Israel, right? So on, on some level, and some of the commentators, <laughs> wake up. I am, I'm some awake. of the commentators have talked about the, the, who is the servant. Well, there, there's multiple layers of meaning, right? So obviously, this servant is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He is the servant who does all of these things, who yes. is the one who does this. Um, the ancients, you know, the ancient Jewish commentators talked about this servant being Israel, the whole of Israel in its ideal form, right? So remember, the nation of Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests, but um, there was going to come a point where there would come a high priest out of the nation of priests, one who represents all of Israel, who would do all these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And atone for the sins of the world. Now, here's the irony. I, I think it's ironic. In the previous chapter, okay. chapter 41, yeah. was all about a guy named Cyrus the Persian. Do you remember Cyrus the Persian? I don't remember Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus the Persian, and this is a prophecy about him, so he hasn't actually even shown up yet. But what Cyrus the Persian did, so when Israel eventually did go off into exile and they were taken into captivity in Babylon, they were living in slavery there, um, eventually the nation of Persia conquered the Babylonians. They were the victors, so they became the superpower. They usurped power from Babylon, and their leader, a guy named Cyrus, um, chose to be uh, benevolent. benevolent? Yeah, yeah, benevolent. Yeah, chose to be benevolent. Benevolent dictator. (laughs) Yeah, basically. But chose to be... um, gracious and merciful to the nations that Babylon had conquered. And among others, he says to Israel, you can go back home now. And he actually gave them money to rebuild the temple and he helped them along their way and to go back and reestablish Jerusalem as their capital. And he was a pretty benevolent guy. So chapter 41 of Isaiah is all about this servant of God named Cyrus, who's this pagan king who really does the will of God and allows Israel to go back to their land and flourish so there's this figure who, do, you know, he does these amazing things. He really is, he never believes in the one true God in a real way, but but yet God uses him and, and God shows his control over all the nations and all people. And he's going to use everything toward his good for those who love him. But then that's juxtaposed with, so yeah, there's this servant named Cyrus, who's a pagan leader who's going to do great things for God, but he's going to be trumped 10 million times over by this true servant who comes and he's going to bring all the nations back together, not just this one figure. He's going to bring all of them. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be a, more of a deliverer than Cyrus was. He's going to be a deliverer, not just for Israel, but of the whole world from sin and all these things. Um, it, it's it's a really kind of neat juxtaposition if you see those two together. But what it's doing is establishing the relationship in part of this servant of God with the rest of the nations. Yes, he's going to save Israel. Yes, he's going to atone for their sins. Yes, he's going to bring them out of their exile. But not only that, he's going to bring all the nations of the earth out of their exile. He's going to bring all the peoples and all the nations and all the, the ethnicities together from all the coastlands. And they're, they're all going to wait for his teaching. And if you jump ahead to the next part of the reading, it says, I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I've grasped you by the hand, formed you, and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement, and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. Again, these are all the things that Isaiah 41 says that Cyrus the Persian is going to do for Israel. He's going to release them from their imprisonment, from their confinement. He'll open their eyes. He'll be a light for the nations. He'll he'll, um, take them out of the dungeon, those who live in darkness. But now Isaiah is saying there's going to come another figure who does it for everyone on a much deeper level than the political freedom that Cyrus the Persian gave them. Yeah, which is always the the a pattern with yeah. with prophecy is you have a proximate fulfillment and a remote fulfillment. Right. And so the, this this Cyrus the Persian yep. is <laughs> the proximate one. Well, no, it's a whole different prophecy. Forty one was about him specifically. Oh. Now chapter 42 is about somebody else. Oh, an dig unnamed it. Dig servant. it. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, got so it. So it's not just yeah, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. the proximate and then the, the, the remote. remote fulfillment, but this is something even more than that. 
that's cool. It's just building on it. And again, this is why, you know, the ancients had no idea what to do with Isaiah 42. And no one knew, you know, it, okay, is this just, is it speaking on behalf of the nation of Israel? Is it going to be a particular king? Is it going to be a priest? Is it going to be some other figure altogether? Who is this servant? What does this mean? Yeah. And then there's other places where you can see this talking about the servant being God himself. And then you see the servant being one who is who is killed and brutalized and actually abused and beaten and and bloodied. And then another verse says this servant is going to be one who conquers all the enemies and he teaches the nation. So again, we've talked about this before, but it, it's so hard, so difficult to look from the point of view of the Old Testament onto what these things mean, because they all see all these prophecies seem to be saying completely um, divergent things. W weren't, wasn't there a trend in uh, rabbinical studies to actually say that there would be have to be two people to actually fulfill all of these things? More than that. But th there, maybe. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. That. I, I just remember hearing that one to, at one point during um, during seminary. Um, mm. I think it actually might yeah, have been sense. From, from Tom Smith. And and then, of course, we know that the the two personhoods of Christ, I mean, it's one person, yeah. but the divine God, the divine Godhead and the human, the consubstantial nature of the Father and the yeah. Son it, mixed with Jesus being true God, true man, yeah. actually being able to fulfill all of these divergent prophecies. My wife is reading the book Divergent. Divergent. Isn't that a book? It is a book. It's like a book. Hunger Games-ish book. And a movie, yeah, yeah. About is it, it a movie? Yeah, it's it's like everybody's the same except for these one people that are divergent and stuff. Yeah, see, that's the way it goes. Mm. Oh. Let's, bu let's bust into 29. What do you say? Does that make sense? Yeah. So that is Did actually... I confuse you by what I said? No, not a bit. That's good. But I think, um, so what I want to look at is the theme of not just the waters of baptism and the use of water, but the idea that this prophecy is for the sake of the nations. Because mm. I think that's one of the things that Isaiah is really bringing, at least the first Isaiah option is bringing out in a very particular way. And it's only in light of that that the Psalm and then Acts of the Apostles actually come to their their fullest light. Otherwise, Acts of the Apostles actually doesn't make sense in this context. Yeah. So more on that in a second. Hey, don't call me a moron. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Um, okay, Psalm 29. I actually love Psalm 29 because uh, English translations don't come close to doing it justice. Oh. Which is a strange reason to love something. <laughs> yeah, but I do. Um, so here's what it says. The, the responsicle itself, which comes from 11, says the Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, just a, a rhetorical question. Uh, rhetorical question? Yeah, rhetorical. <laughs> rhetorical. <laughs> well, no, that means unanswerable. It, rhetorical means that you're meant to just think about it and not answer it. Well, it's both. But think about it and then answer it. <laughs> okay. It says the Lord will bless his people with peace. Who are the Lord's people? Well, it depends on how you're looking at it. Uh -huh. I mean, you, you can have... How would Israel, how would the first audiences have been hearing that? Me, 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 me. Yeah, not in a selfish way, but I mean Israel. Okay, oh, okay. the Lord is going to bless his people. Who? Israel with peace. But then if you actually take the... So I think it was short-sighted. I mean, I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but even from the front end of that, if you put the pieces of the Old Testament, the pieces of Scripture together, yeah, that's not the right answer. Because continue... This is the thing in... Um, oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's, a, there's an argument that Paul, St. Paul, makes in the book of Romans yeah. toward the end of the book where he's trying to make the argument, and, and Paul in the book of Romans is trying to make this case to Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, both of whom are sort of stuck together in this weird ethnic division. They kind of both hate each other. Yeah. He's trying to make the case that, look, in the divine plan of God, you guys belong together. The Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians are not second-class Christians. The Jewish Christians are not better Christians because they have the Old Testament. You're, you're actually both meant to be here together. And in the end of the book, to sort of summarize what this means, he actually takes this. It, 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 some commentators have said he just chooses these random verses to talk about Gentiles. But if you go through the, the it's in uh, chapter 12, I think. But he goes through each of the major parts of Scripture. So the Jewish people divided Scripture into three parts. Have you heard this before? Uh, scripture is often called no, the Tanakh for them, Tanakh, which, yeah, is which is TNK, yeah, an acronym. Which is the first five, right? No. Oh, Tanakh so, is, the, is the full thing. The full thing. So it's it's an acronym. So the T stands for Torah. Oh. And the Torah, of course, represents those first five books, right? Genesis, yeah. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. 
um, T-N. The N is the word Nevi'im. Um, and Nevi'im uh, means the um, the prophets. So, uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these. And actually, the, most of the historical pro- books were considered prophetic as well. Because remember, prophecy for the ancients is not telling the future necessarily. It's simply speaking insight into what God is doing. Yeah. So, you know, you can say oh, a lot of our popes have been prophetic in a certain sense, right? Because they, they give insight into what's going on. So Joshua, Judges, Samuel, the ancient Jews said these books are prophetic as well in the proper sense of the word because they give insight into God's divine plan. So the prophetic books, right? And then uh, the K is for the word ketuvim, ketuvim, which means literally the writings. So the Psalms, the, the Proverbs, wisdom literature, all those things. And so put together TNK, the Tanakh, that's the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, right? So what does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I was just uh, I keep on thinking about this um, because we have five porticos on the outside of our church. Oh. And I've always wanted to take that and, and then relate that directly to the five books of the Torah. Oh. And then and then there's two porticos uh, on either side once you get past those. And I wanted to have like Isaiah and um, and like uh, somebody. So another another big prophet, Ezekiel. You know, sure. basically take the big ones, and then I'm thinking about the narthex, and then I'm like, oh, the writings in the wisdom literature, or you even even some doors just to have as you're walking through those things, you're progressing through salvation history and through the Torah. The, What's in the, the narthex again? Just three things. Is that what you said? No, just like stuff, like oh, stuff, brochures. <laughs> I would. Well, we can talk about this later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the idea of, of the five like... books of Moses. Yes. And then I would take the gospel, actually. I would actually take, because you, you, it's hard to quantify one of the major prophets over another. Yes. Because they're all so important. But I would do what Jesus does in the Transfiguration. So, so you have the five books of Moses. Then you take Moses and you build on him with, with Elijah. So the law and the prophets, that yeah. being the the two, which is just not. This is anyway, and you add on, you keep adding ahead to the. Oh, that's cool. I, I don't know. I, I, dig, I dig your mental thoughts, yo. But here's the point. So, Paul in this part of Romans takes this very selective survey of passages from each of the major three parts of the Bible, okay. showing that there's actually no part of the Holy Scriptures that doesn't talk about God's intention to bring all of the non Israelite people into the covenant family. It's not a new invention. It's not a new novelty, which some people did think it was in the time of Paul. Okay, this is a great new idea. Let's bring the Gentiles in. Great. I've never tried that before. But he shows that, no, this was God's divine plan from the beginning. So when you read back on Psalm 29, the Lord will bless his people with peace. If you actually honestly read that in light of, say, Isaiah 42, our first reading, you have to acknowledge, no, God's people are all of the nations because that's who his intentions are for. It's Israel and everybody else, all the way back to the book of Exodus, when the ten plagues take place. Remember Moses, he turns the river to blood, and the gnats, and the flies, and the cows, and stuff. It actually says explicitly that these mighty works were for, yes, Israel, so that they could know their one true God, but for the Egyptians as well, and for all the other nations who will hear about all these things. That's who God wants to be known to. Scripture is really clear on this. So when you see something like Psalm 29, that says the Lord will bless his people with peace, although the common popular opinion would be his people are Israel, yes. the biblical reality is actually not that. That's not merely his people. It's no, much no, it's, broader than that. Well, and that's, and that's actually what everything is pointing towards. Absolutely. But what's really cool about this, so it goes on, give to the Lord, you sons of God, give to the Lord glory and praise, give to the Lord gl- glory to his name, adore to the Lord with, in holy attire, all these things. Again, calling on all the nations to give God glory. But then it's the next stanza that I really like. So um, the next stanza is all about the voice of the Lord. So it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the Lord over the vast waters. The voice of the Lord is mighty. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Do you know what the Hebrew word for voice there is? No, I don't. It's the same Hebrew word for the word sound. No. So it's the word kol, which I don't ever do a good job of pronouncing. So the the transliterated would just be Q-O-L. Coal, but cool. the the coal, the Q needs to be pronounced in the most guttural way possible. Cool. So coal, 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 but but not it's not chad, it, it's so cold. here's the thing, it's it's kind of a so if you have a cold, oh, uh, that's very good. Um, <laughs> but this is what we call in, in this is what we call in English an automatopoeia. 
which is hey, my, one of my favorite I, grammatical words. I love onomatopoeia. I had to sing about onomatopoeia when I played Linus in in the uh, Great Pumpkin <laughs> in high school. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's an example of an onomatopoeia? An English? onomatopoeia is like pow or yeah. boom. It is um, something that describes the way it, it describes it. It's it's kind of a demonstration of the thing itself it in sound form. Like, yeah, it sounds like burp, right? Or burp or yeah, poot, <laughs> <laughs> bark, bark. Yeah, so it sounds like what it is. Room. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So coal, coal is an onomatopoeia, in the sense that the 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 more proper trans. So, um, let me give are, you an example. Are you are you feeling well? <laughs> you, I have a coal, a call. A call. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> um, but let me give you an example. So the, the, the first time this word shows up is back in the book of Genesis. Okay. When Adam and Eve, remember, they commit their sin. They eat the fruit. That and then they, they get a cold? No, then they're hiding, and it says they heard the coal of the Lord walking through the garden. Yeah. So you can translate it, the voice of the Lord. They heard the sound of the Lord. But later on in the psalm, in, in other psalms, it actually talks about the voice of the Lord or the coal of the Lord shakes the bark off the cedars of Lebanon. Rending the forest bare. Right. I love that. I always wanted to have that as the microphone that you pray. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the prayer that you pray as you, as you don the microphone in mass. Really? Yeah. That would the be... voice of the Lord rending the oak trees bare and stripping the forest and sounding like thunder. But think about that. That sounds very different than, oh, the voice of the Lord. Yeah. The Chol Adonai <laughs> is what it is in Hebrew, which Chol Adonai sounds very different than the voice of the Lord. Or even in Greek, the, the phone kairu. Yeah. It just sounds kind of wussy, but what it is doing in Hebrew, it, it's meant to evoke a gutter. It, it is, you use the word thunder. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to sound like. W the voice of the Lord thunders. When, whenever I'm in Mass and I want to do the voice of the Lord, I do this. And the Lord <laughs> said. That's good. You know, because be you have to have a, a demo, man. Yeah, you really do. So, so the chol, chol, the chol. Sorry, I can't do it. Go ahead. Chol Adonai. That's really intense. Thanks. But, but okay, so what's my point in all this? Neat grammar sounds, sounds question. interesting. The Lord will bless his people with peace. That's the responsorial that we get again and again. The Lord will bless his people with peace. How is he going to bless his people with peace? Because his voice thunders. And the thundering voice of the Lord is going to shake the bark off of the trees and shatter and render the forest bare. That's the voice that God intends for the, all the nations of the earth to hear not and this is where i think we get our minds flipped on what god is doing because there's a lot of this imagery in the old testament of god being angry or god being wrathful or god shaking the bark off of trees why is it because god's just always ticked off no nope. no the imagery we're getting here is not a god who's mad at all the nations and mad that we're terrible sinners it's a god who is so strong and powerful who our instinct should be to find our protection in his wings, yeah. not to run in fear like Adam and Eve did and hide behind a tree from him, but rather to see this is the powerful rock of my salvation behind whom I can hide. I can yes. find refuge there. All nations of the earth should be able to hear the call Adonai and not be tempted to run away and hide, but be tempted to run to him for protection. Like, a, like a, you know, Jesus even uses this imagery in the gospel. You know, a hen gathers her brood under her wings because she's strong and she's powerful and she can protect them. Yes. That's the image that's supposed to be evoked here. And that's why we have to avoid sin, keep our conscience clean. Because as soon as we as soon as we get into the terrible sin... Then we, our reaction is like Adam and Eve, rather than the one who seeks protection. But, yes. but the but but this is the thing: is that even when we sin, we should actually have the same inspiration. But that's a learned response, not well, a not an instinctual one. Sometimes it is instinctual, though. So I, I love the example. I don't know if it's instinctual or not, but I love the example. I love the juxtaposition in the Gospels of Judas and Peter. Have you ever thought about this? Yeah. So Judas and Peter, two of the most important people in the Gospels, yep. both of them, if you think about it, they kind of do the same thing. So Judas, betray the Lord. Well, they both betray the Lord, but they, they kind of do it in similar ways. They both basically sell out the Lord to get something in return. So Judas sells out Jesus to get 30 pieces of silver. So he sells him out 
and well, it's, people, it's more complicated than that, though. Well, it's debatable exactly what his intentions are. Maybe he, you know, some people thinks he was just wanting the money. Some people think that maybe he was trying to further the Lord's plan, trying to you know push the Lord into the position of salvation. We don't know exactly. Yeah. But he sells Jesus out regardless, and he gets benefit from it. Dig it. In its simplest terms. Yes. You have Peter. What does Peter do? He sells Jesus out. How? Well, he denies Jesus three times. What? To get what benefit? To get protection because he doesn't want to wind up in jail. He doesn't want to wind up imprisoned or crucified. So yeah. he sells him out yeah. to get some benefit, to save his own behind, basically. Yep. Both of them realize in a real way what they've done. Yep. Judas comes to a deep realization of what he's done and what's his reaction? Kills himself. He kills himself. He sees no possibility of forgiveness, of yep. mercy. So he kills himself. Peter, now we don't get the immediate reaction of when exactly. I mean, we kind of do that moment that he sees the Lord's eyes and he's like, ah, shoot. And I don't know what he does after that. But I do know that the next time Peter sees the Lord, remember it's after the resurrection. And my favorite account of it is when he's on the boat. Remember, it's in the Gospel of John. Jesus, Peter's on the boat. He sees the Lord on the shore. And if I were Peter, and I know that I just sold out the Lord to save my own skin, and our eyes even met, and I'm like, oh, crap, he knows what I've done. He knows that, he knows that I did this. The next time I saw the Lord, once he's come back glorified and to restore his kingdom, I'd be like, oh, man, that's the last guy I want to see. Yeah. But Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to Jesus as fast as he possibly can. It seems that his knee-jerk reaction to seeing Jesus, the one who he should hide in fear from, really, is to run to him and almost, it's not presumption exactly, but he almost assumes mercy. He's like, I'm just going to throw myself into the Lord's arms because I know him and I trust him. So you have Peter and Judas. They both do something really similar. They both realize what they've done. Judas sees no possibility of forgiveness. Peter runs and throws himself at the mercy of Jesus' forgiveness. Yep. Which is just sort of interesting. Yeah, it's beautiful. So sin makes different personalities, I think, react in different ways. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's take it for what you will. But you're right. It's not that the position of the Lord, it's not that the, the stance of the Lord changes. It's that it tends to be the case, like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we are afraid. We want to hide. It doesn't make God more mad. And more prone to punishing us, right? He's going to come after us now. But it's that I actually lose my view of who God is. I don't know how long it took Peter to realize what he'd done and to sort of come to terms with, wow, if I could ever see him again, I would just throw myself in his arms. I don't, I don't know, you know what those three days, frankly, were like for him. No. But in general, when we sin, yeah, I mean, you said it really well. I'm just repeating what you said. We lose our perspective on who the Lord is. The Lord doesn't change. The Lord is there. The Lord is waiting for, you know, it's funny in the, in the story of Adam and Eve, when God comes looking for them, even the way that the Lord is described, he's described as Yahweh Elohim, which is the personal, um, intimate title of the Lord. It's not mean, distant, wrathful God who's looking for Adam and Eve after they've sinned. It's, it's um, intimate, personal, uh, you know wanting a relationship God who's seeking them saying, yeah, where are you? Because I want you back. Not where are you? What did you do? But where <laughs> are you? I actually want you back. Yeah. Anyway, so much more we could do on that. But, but that's, I think it's so important though, because again, this imagery just, just doesn't just show up in Psalm 29, but this imagery of the voice of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord, the, the might of the Lord, which shakes bark off the trees is something that we should actually take great confidence in, not, cower and fear from that that's the point of yes this. that's why we keep going <laughs> same <laughs> point but i think it's really important because i misunderstood that most of my life so what you're saying is that we're barking up the wrong tree uh, uh, let's get it we're back calling up the wrong tree oh that was even stupider than what that, you said that, okay that's okay we can go shopping at kohl's oh <sighs> can you tell me the way to kohl's <laughs> <laughs> all right acts chapter 10 acts chapter 10 is yes. the turning point of the book of Acts. Wow. I believe it's actually the turning point of the entire New Testament. And, in fact, the entirety of salvation history. Oh! You think so? No, I don't know. I was just trying to... I don't think it's the it entirety the... of salvation history. I was just trying to take it to the next level is really what I was trying to do. I think the turning point of salvation history is Jesus' passion, crucifixion, resurrection. Agreed. That's, that, that's the center of all things. But once that happens, the ministry of the church, this is the turning point of the church's ministry. Why is that? Okay, here's why. Uh, for the first 
nine or so chapters of Acts of the Apostles. Okay. The church is centered on ministry to the Jews. Oh, yes, absolutely. Remember, there's that whole table of contents yes. set out in the very beginning of Acts of the Apostles. Uh-huh. So they are, and, and Jesus commands this. They are first to go to Jerusalem and Judea, to the people of God, the ones who are most prone to understand this because they've had the covenants. But then they're not to stay there. They're to go out to Judea and then Samaria and eventually out to the ends of the earth. And it's in chapter 10 that that begins to happen. And it happens with quite a bit of pain and uh, argument, actually. Mm. So here's, here's basically what happened. And this is what you don't get. In chapter 9, you get sort of the first inklings of this, and that's when you're, we're introduced to this guy named Saul who is persecuting the Christians. He's thrown off. Well, there's no horse in the story. He's thrown to the ground, and he sees this vision of God. He says, Jesus, he says, why are you persecuting me? And he has this massive conversion. It's almost a side note in Acts of the Apostles, then it moves on to something else. But it wants to plant it in your head that something is about to happen. Something new is about to take place. Actually, the baton of the story is going to get changed from Peter being the main character of Acts to Paul being the main character of Acts. Peter's still the Pope, but the major character in the narrative now becomes somebody else. But for now, we're still with Peter. And so it's in chapter 9 and 10, kind of the, the bridge between the two. Which, by the way... The best, at least either movie or miniseries, would be Acts. Everybody keeps on going for the Ten Commandments. Man, let's lay out some Acts. Will they show the scene of that guy falling asleep during Peter's sermon and falling out the window and dying? Absolutely. How come you don't bring that more up in homilies? People falling asleep during homilies and is, is it very out a- the window is and dying? A, is a venerable tradition in the church. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's uh, been happening since oh, the beginning. Falling asleep? In, in yeah. homilies and dying. Well, but we know what happens when you fall asleep during a homily. <laughs> but he's raised up again, so it's cool. He comes back from the dead. That was anyway. I knew a priest who once raised from somebody from the dead. He ran him over with a car. Maybe they weren't dead, but they were at least seriously injured. Is this a true story? Yeah. You're just going to leave that? Uh-huh. I'm just going to throw that out there? Yeah, yeah. All right. Gonna, well, <laughs> that, guess we'll just move that, on. That's all you get today. Cool. But here's the thing. So okay. here's what happens. Okay. Peter is called up to this the house of this guy named Simon the Tanner. Remember this whole story? He goes to heal mm-hmm. this girl named Tabitha, who's also called Dorcas. <laughs> Dorcas. The best name in the New Testament. <laughs> Dude, I, you really don't ever hear Dorcas. No. So Dorcas, which also means gazelle, Acts points out. It's like three different meanings of this name. Tabitha, which means Dorcas, which means gazelle. <laughs> Tabitha Dorcas, dude. That, that sounds like, I remember I remember in elementary school, I remember the girl Tabitha Dorcas. No, oh, she's... She was the best. Anyway, he she dies. And <laughs> right, doesn't she die? And then Peter is called up to to raise her from the dead. So yeah. he does, and Be- everybody's because, happy. Because the Acts of the Apostles is is showing exactly how the church has taken up the same ministry of Christ. And so we're seeing yes. parallel passaging. The very things Jesus says in the gospels, the apostles do in Acts. Which is the most interesting part about that, yeah. I think, is that people assume that that's gonna happen. I mean, this isn't just this theology that shows up in Acts of the Apostles, but we... So, I mean, this girl named, named Tabitha dies. These people are like, what do we do? Oh, here's Peter. He's a follower of that guy, Jesus. Jesus raised people from the dead. I bet his followers can do the exact same thing. Isn't that an interesting logic? Yeah. Because do people look at us? Do they look at the church and be like, oh, I bet those Catholics can probably do the same things that Jesus did. We should call on them. I mean, that's not how the church tends to look at us, right? No. But that is how they looked at the early church. And there's something that I think we can learn from that. I wish I had some of that action going on. I think you do. We just haven't tapped into it. Yeah, well, I you mean, got it, it, baby. it actually does come with the, the anointings. I mean, you'd be surprised what happens in anointing. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. So anyway, so he's up there. Yep. He healed this girl. He's staying at this, guy, this house of this guy named Simon. He is up on the roof before dinner, and he's, he's probably hungry. But he's taking a nap. Remember, he was suntanning up on the roof. The, and he sees what we love to call the pigs, pigs in the blanket. Pigs in the blanket. There's yeah, the right? blanket come from heaven. Every, he says, take and eat. And he's like, I'm not going to eat. This but it's unclean, all these unclean yo. foods. Yeah, so he's, God he's, says. There was the, some giraffe up in there, dude. <laughs> Giraffes aren't unclean. Yeah, he was like, he's like, you can I'm, eat giraffe. I'm not going to eat none of that giraffe. And like, but isn't that funny? God himself, in a voice, in a coal booming from heaven, says, Peter, take and, take eat. and eat. And he says, no. No. I love Peter for that same reason. He's just like, he's no, like, no dude. I can't do that. I made, a, weird I made test. a promise. But he's like, I can't. These are unclean. And do you remember what God's response is? Because it's really, really profound. Well, let me pause there. Before you answer that question, let pause. me ask you. I love to ask my students this when they teach Acts of the Apostles. I'm not your student. Uh, well, I just I want to ask you because okay. I'm not trying to mess with you, but just. Okay. Talk to me. It's a trick question. I'll Aces. warn you about that. Can Catholics eat unclean foods? 
It is not possible because there is no such thing as an unclean food. The tempting thing to say is that, yeah, right? But here's that's what God says. So when Peter said, when he says, Peter, rise and eat, Kate, kill and eat, and he says, no, Lord, because I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean, God actually says, no, what God has cleansed, you shall not call unclean. So can Catholics eat unclean foods? No, we're still not permitted to eat unclean foods. Well, why can we eat pork chops and shrimp then? Because God has cleansed them. Yep. They're not unclean for us anymore. That's right? why you can go to the Rodizio Grill. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. But that's a pretty profound change. And, yep. and that's not commonly understood. Because really, the question of what do we do with the Old Testament law, like the kosher food laws and circumcision, all these things, that is the number one question of the New Testament. The question of circumcision shows up in every single book that Paul writes. It's not usually talked about very much, but it shows up in every one of them because the major question is, what do you do with the old law? That's great that we're, we're open to accepting Gentiles into the family of God now, yeah. but what does that look like? Do they have to keep the kosher food laws? Do they have to keep these laws? What, what do we do with this? Yeah. And that's what's going to lead to the, the first church council, which is in Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem, where there's literally yelling and screaming of apostles at each other because this is not an easily solved question. No. And here's the thing. It, this passage is really not about food. It is about food. That's a part of it. It's about but, the redemption that Christ wrought. Did he redeem everything or did he not? Right. And that's where we get the theological principle that says everything that he assumed he redeemed. And the bigger point for what Peter's about to do is that, yes, it's about animals, but if it happens to animals, surely it's happened to people as well. So while he's receiving this vision, there's this other guy named Cornelius who's up in a place called Caesarea, and he gets a vision from God that says, hey, I want you to send up to, to, to Joppa to this guy Peter and have him come here, and he's got a message for you guys. So he sends his guys. He goes up. And so as Peter is waking up from this vision, these guys show up at the door, and they're like, hey, we're looking for Peter. You need to come with us. And he's like, holy poop. There's probably something more to this vision. Maybe I should listen to these guys. Yeah. He goes up to Caesarea. And he gives the first major proclamation of the gospel to a group of non-Jews. Now, here's the other thing I think is kind of interesting about that. Who's the pro who, who is the who is the major minister to the Gentiles in the New Testament? Gentiles, that would be Paul. Paul is, right? He's the one who goes out and ministers to the Gentiles. But who gives the first major proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles? Paul. I'm just kidding. It's Peter. It's I can tell. Peter, I know. Is, I know how I, you ask a question. But it's really kind of cool, though, because you expect no. Wait, this should be happening with Paul. This is Paul's gig. But Acts wants to make it very clear to you that no, there's actually an authority in the church. Paul doesn't have any authority to do this unless it's actually Peter, who is the head of the church, the vicar of Christ, the Pope himself, who begins to establish the principle. And then Paul can go on as his minister and go on and do the work. Totally. But it matters that it's actually Peter. And so he goes up, and once he gets there, he just starts speaking. And this is, this is where we come into the reading. But he's up in the house of Cornelius, and he says, In truth, I see, I see now that God shows no partiality. Rather, in every nation, whoever fears him and acts uprightly is acceptable to him. Yep. Do you know that the word he sent to the Israelites, he proclaimed peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And he, begins to, he, he tells the story of salvation history, basically. Yep. And immediately after he tells the story of salvation history, you know what, you know what happens? I can't remember. The Holy Spirit falls on all the people who are gathered there. And it, it's basically described in terms of a second Pentecost. The same way Pentecost is described, now the descent of the Holy Spirit on these people is described. And I love actually the scene that takes place because, so there's some people up there with Peter and they're like, holy snot, these people just received the Holy Spirit just like we did up at Pentecost. And you know what Peter's reaction is? Now, first of all, let me, let me, let's talk about Catholic theology for a second. When do we believe we receive the Holy Spirit in a literal way? Uh, baptism. At baptism. What hasn't happened to any of these people yet? Baptized. They haven't been baptized. So Peter's response is, oh, shoot, let's baptize them all. Yeah. And it's so funny. I love this scene because it's actually the church's theology working in reverse. He recognizes these people have received the Holy Spirit. They're supposed to be baptized to get that. They haven't been baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit. Crap, we better baptize them so we can catch up to where God already is. Which is actually, <clears throat> which is actually very true to this day in our CIA. This is how things happen. People will encounter the Lord in adoration, and then they're like, "No, let's solidify this." Yes, and this is ecclesiology. This is ecclesiology 101. I mean, for all the people like me for a long time 
who think that the church is just this entity that kind of makes up doctrines and dogmas and sort of just preaches whatever they want to. This is the prime example of what the ecclesiology of the church is. The church, their jo- her job is to recognize what God is doing in the world and to conform herself to that. Yes. Peter recognizes the Holy Spirit has been descending on these Gentiles. We need to conform ourselves. Whether Peter wants that or not, whether he likes Gentiles or not, and he says this later on in his testimony during the Council of Jerusalem. He says, you know what? It wasn't my decision. I just saw this is what God was doing. Who was I to withstand what God was doing? Yes. And that's what the church is. That's what she does. That's what Peter's role is. And it's this, really what it is, is the theology of the Old Testament. Everything that God had said now coming to fruition and people looking back and saying, oh, that's what that meant when Psalm 29 was talking about all the nations. That's what Isaiah 42 meant when it talked about all the coastlands waiting for his teaching. Here's Peter sitting on the coastland of Caesarea with a huge group of non-Jews waiting for his teaching. Yeah, It's played out literally. And the church is slowly beginning to say, oh, shoot, we better conform ourselves to what God is doing in the world and what he's always intended to do. That's why I think this is this is so prime. I wish that our reading from Acts actually included the baptism scene because it would bring us so full circle into into this feast day and the baptism of the Lord. But it doesn't. It doesn't. But again, I, what I love about the church is that she presumes a certain amount upon us that we will either recognize the story or learn more about it or figure out what the context is. Yes. I, I mean, we don't do this nearly enough, but I mean, would that we were at church who heard a second reading like this, like I did, and looked at it and was like, why, why does the church choose that one? Why that? This doesn't seem to have anything to do with baptism. I better go back and read it and put it in context. And if you do that, you'll begin to see, oh, man, this is the first baptism of non-Jewish people in the Bible. Yes. That's a big deal. Huge deal. But I wish that we, we, we had that impulse of, I want to understand what the church is trying to say to me here, so I need to go back and study this. Yeah, anyway, we don't tend to have that. We're lazy and we want to watch the football game. Well, that's why we do this. That's why we do the podcast. Is is it, it gives is. A, it gives a near occasion of grace to oh, say No, let's actually dig in. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes us to the gospel. Okay, let's do which this. Which is really neat. Um now here's the thing about the gospel. I mean there's also this is the ba- the scene of the ba- Jesus baptism. Yep. All sorts of things we could say. And I'm sure you have things that you wanted to say, but I just want to say one thing. Uh, okay, man, <coughs> say the thing. Well, I have other things too. But uh, <laughs> So it begins, it says, this is what John the Baptist proclaimed. He said, one mightier than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, someone's coming. At, I'm not the Messiah, is what John the Baptist repeatedly wants to say. The Gospel of John actually brings that out even more. John keeps saying, no, it's not me. It's somebody else coming afterwards. Don't worship me, as a lot of people were. And then immediately after it says it happened in those days, Jesus came down from Nazareth of Galilee. He was baptized in the Jordan by John. And on coming out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice from the heavens. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased which is a direct quote. God is quoting Psalm 72, yes. which is the coronation psalm. It's the psalm that kings would say when they were anointing their sons as king over, uh-huh. the, over the earth. But what's even more, well, not more profound, but what's more pertinent for our purposes is what it actually said in Isaiah. And if you want to put all the pieces together, what it says is God talks about this servant And it says in our first reading, thus says the Lord, here is my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. Yes. So if you want the answer to who the heck is this servant that Isaiah 42 is talking about, the call, the voice of the Lord thundering from heaven answers the question in the clouds on that day that Jesus was baptized. This is the one with whom I am well pleased. And not only am I anointing him as the king now to go out and serve my nations, but I'm answering the question that the Old Testament asked as to who is this that's going to draw everyone else together and bring the family back together. Yeah. But it's the coal of the Lord that does that. It's the voice thundering from heaven that answers the question that the first reading asked. This is why I love the thread that actually goes through all four of these readings. No, I mean, you really have laid it out. It is absolutely the truth. I think it's cool. It this is, is also, by the way, the first time that the entire Trinity is explicitly present in the Bible. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. So you have God the Father and his voice speaking from heaven. You have um, God the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending upon him. And you have God the Son in the water being baptized. First time they're all explicit. They're all implicitly there prior to this. But this is the first time they're explicitly there mentioned. I think it's cool. I think it's amazing. I, I like uh, as you're talking. It is it near. It's nearly impossible to add anything. Oh, I bet you can. I mean, because as I'm watching, I mean, like, I feel a little bit like John the Baptist, who says, "I'm, I am, I'm not worthy. I'm not sufficient to even be the lowest slave." I mean, the the one who that is the, the lowest slave. The lowest slave is the one who who washes, who takes the sandals off and washes the feet. Yep. He's like, I, I'm not, I, I, what I have in me is not enough to even be able to experience or the, the, the lowest part. Mm. And, and yet that's how we are and what, what the, like, we're not sufficient, but that's actually what exactly we're talking about with the acts. Yes. It's saying like, no, I've made all things clean. You have to do this here are the nations. You know, get yourself get, in line. Get yourself in line. Here's Isaiah saying the the nation, no, be pay attention. I'm going to make yeah. you sufficient. I like that is his work. Yeah. Is but but it's it's precisely in that recognition that then when we say, oh gosh, I don't have enough. Mm. I am not enough. Literally, I'm not enough. And that's actually when we become supercharged and propelled into the next dimension right. to just absolutely be filled and be witness to. To the supreme being, to yeah. to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and 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 then and then incorporated into that. Are you kidding me? That we can actually even hear those words said about us. I mean, yeah. all of those conflicts, all of those things, they they get flattened once we realize what that invitation really is. Yeah. And so I mean, it's hard to it's hard to even add anything because I am not sufficient. But I, but thankfully, I can add something because the Lord has redeemed me. Yeah. He has assumed my nature, and He has brought it back to the Father, and He has called me into that into that relationship, which is just totally lays me out. That's awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome, Father. Thanks, son. <laughs> I'm pleased in you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well. There you have it. There you have it, y'all. Don't fake the funk. Never. We're going to be missing you until yes. we see you next week because week. we never miss a podcast don't ever. Don't say that. Are we going to miss one? I know. We never have so far. I know. I don't know of any other podcast that's been this consistent. No, I mean. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know. That's that's why um, that's why that gal shed a tear when she saw me. It was good. It was just so It was so beautiful. Hold on. I'm, I have to remember her name so that I can give her a shout out. Oh, whoop, my phone died. Okay. Whoop, my phone died. Whoop, my phone died. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. Yeah. We'll see you then. Happy baptism of the Lord. Yay. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.